Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Hey guys, this is AC, coming to you from Philadelphia, and welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. And joining me today, you might remember him from our Knicks pods, we got Rahul. Hey, what's up, everybody? Glad to be back. Glad to talk about some sports betting stuff, and maybe we'll touch on the Knicks a little bit, too, even though it might be a little bit on the depressing side. (laughs) So I very intentionally not brought you on to talk about the Knicks because, quite frankly, it's been a depressing season. Uh, Last year looks more like a one-hit wonder as every game passes. So I brought you in for a different purpose. And you mentioned it, Raul. You are one of the avid sports gamblers I know. Someone that actually bets on the NBA, follows the lines, everything like that. So I thought, why not bring you on to have a little bit of a guide to betting on this NBA season? Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, honestly, this has been a roller coaster of a year already. And we're only halfway through. I think the first thing we're going to touch on is obviously the current climate of what's going on in the world and how it's impacting sports and and sports betting in particular. Yeah, so absolutely. When the Omicron variant first started hitting earlier this season, you had lines shifting dramatically because teams were finding out minutes before a game was set to start that key rotation players were out. And then as the betting public, we would get this information from maybe a Woj tweet or a Shams tweet that, some random G League players now entering the roster. And I saw lines that were like plus one swing all the way to minus six the other way. And so how have you found betting in this weird season so far? You know what? First of all, shout out to Arian Ilyasova, who's back. Lance Stevenson, who's back. (laughs) Langston Galloway, Alfonso McKinney, names we haven't talked about. Mario Chalmers, back on the heat. In a long time. And these guys are all making a a return to the NBA in the current climate. I love it. I love looking up and saying, damn, how long has it been since I've seen this guy? What's been your guy who's back right now that you're just like, what the fuck, he's in the NBA right now? Dude, I literally watched Lance Stevenson play against the Knicks last night. How can can that be on the other answer? (laughs) Born ready. Yeah. Um, But yeah, honestly, these line swings have been crazy. One thing as, you know, a public better, as a recreational better, you know, one thing that we all have to be very careful about is just don't bet any games unless you know what the starting lineup and what the availability is going to be closer to game time. Putting in these bets in the morning, trying to get ahead of line shifts and stuff has been very, very random and chaotic. And I would just not advise it in general. I think in general, that's good advice because in the NBA, you know, it's a long season and you never know what random injury could pop up or who's being rested. But this year, especially, I mean, you're talking about not just guys being out, but entirely different players of of a different caliber taking those spots up and potentially playing rotation minutes. Guys are signing 10 days and then immediately being thrown into the fire. So that's very good advice for anybody who's trying to get into betting on the spread. Wait till right before the game before you place your bets. Yeah, and you know, just to be clear, like these players that are announced out, we're not talking about one player at a time. You know, 
the way Omicron works, the way COVID has worked is it's a very infectious strain. And usually when someone's testing positive, there's someone right next to them. There's someone right next to them who's also tested positive or is about to test positive. So you're seeing these clusters of players out and teams just being decimated uh, with COVID absences. No question. And yet, Rahul, there have been some teams that have been pretty consistent to bet on so far this season. You know, a couple of those teams come to mind. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, before we go ahead and, and look forward and sort of maybe some value bets we can place in terms of futures, in terms of various odds, I want to look at the teams that have been good to bet on on the spread this year. And, and, and for those who might not know what betting on the spread is, it's when you're betting on, you know, so basically Vegas or, or some casino will set a line. So they might say, say, I don't know, Clippers by three points. And then if you bet on the Clippers, they need to exceed that amount for you to win money on it. And so generally speaking, it's difficult to win against the casinos. They have, they have experts of all kinds of data they use to, to come up with these lines. And in the long run, it's difficult to, to beat them consistently. However, there have been some teams where you've been able to cover on, on, on bets pretty consistently. So what are some of those teams from what you've seen so far, Rahul? Generally speaking, in any year, finding the team that has the biggest discrepancy from public perception to actual functional ability is the way to find these variants, these teams. And this year, as one would expect, a lot of the teams that are doing really well against the spread are teams you would not have likely bet on when the year was starting. The first team on our ATS list is Cleveland. And what that means is they are covering a spread about 70% of the time. Jeez. And they're not even just covering by a small margin. They're covering by a large seven points per game. So let me just break this down in terms of what that means. Cleveland's playing the Lakers. Everyone thinks the Lakers should be favorited. They're... Lakers minus five, that means, you know, anyone betting on Cleveland, they just need to stay within five. They're not staying within five. They're just winning the game outright. And this has been a, a constant kind of pattern so far this year. And if you think about it, it makes logical sense, right? I mean, Cleveland was not a playoff team and certainly not one that anyone had any expectations for coming into this season. And you look at their roster and they're this collection of big men, and it doesn't seem like it would make sense. But yet, because of the play of Jared Allen, the play of their amazing rookie, and not to mention Darius Garland having probably a borderline all-star season, they've been exceeding expectations. And, you know, it seems like Vegas and, you know, the various line setters are waiting for them to have a crash. And that's just not happening so far. They're on a bit of a mini slump right now because of, of Ricky Rubio going out, but they generally have been doing really well against the spread. Another team, you know in the same mold that's doing well against the spread is Memphis. Now, they're another team that has talent, but it seems like their talent is just putting it together and taking one step up from where they left off last year. So as, as we remember last year, we saw John Morant center stage in a play-in game against the Warriors go off. This year, Jaron Jackson's back. He's getting healthier. And even despite just these two stars that they're clearly still growing and getting better, they have so many role players and depth, and that really is key towards a regular season performance. And they're covering at a clip of 61.5% as well. 
Yeah, and, and we will get to John Morant because he is a stealth MVP bet, in my opinion, when we, we discuss the MVP odds later. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're sitting in fourth place in the West, which I don't think anyone would have seen coming. And, and pretty comfortably in fourth as well. They're, they're well ahead of that trio of Denver, Lakers, Clippers, and I guess you could say the fourth team being the Mavs. Uh, none of those teams are really that close to catching the Grizzlies. So I can easily see them maintaining this position throughout. And by the way, they have, for the rest of the way, one of the easiest remaining schedules in the NBA. So they're likely to continue like this. Just a quick thing. Even yesterday, last night, they played at Cleveland, and we saw these two teams go head-to-head. And it was a back-and-forth game the whole way through. And honestly, they are both able to make plays and get buckets at the end of the game, which is surprising. Uh, Maybe not so much for... Uh, Memphis with with uh, Morant on their team, but even for Cleveland, Garland and the role threat of Jared Allen, and then ultimately getting out in transition after making a defensive play from a block by Mobley, like they're finding ways to score even in the end of the game. For sure, and the other three teams that have a pretty remarkable cover percentage, given where we thought they might be, are Oklahoma City, Chicago, and Golden State, and. You know, Oklahoma City is a team that I think a lot of people expected to be really leading the tank race this year. But they have these surprise players like Josh Giddy coming out of nowhere. They play hard every night. They have a couple of really big wins. Famously, they came back from basically 20-point leads two times already this season against the Lakers. They've embarrassed some other teams that haven't been paying attention to them. You know, Chicago right now is a team that's sitting in number one in the East. And of course, Golden State is having maybe the best season of any team in the NBA. And that in particular, I want to ask you about because, okay, the other teams were maybe unexpected, but Golden State is a team that typically is not a team that you succeed betting on the spread on. They're a popular team. They're a team that has Steph Curry. So they get a lot of public money, money from people who aren't necessarily sharps, money from people who don't do this for a living. And yet, they're covering at a ridiculous 64.7% rate this year. So what's going on over there? You know, they're just playing out of their minds. I think a lot of public perception is that Golden State is going to be a good team. They did not expect this level of competition, this level of excellence quite this early. A lot of people had them penciled in. Maybe when Clay came back, they had a little time to gel, to really take the next step, really outperform their seeding in the playoffs. But I think it's just a testament to the system that they've put in there. You know, the the two years they had prior to this where they're bringing in players, they're trying to find the right fit into a high IQ, really good passing, really good shot obtaining system is really paying dividends. And then you're seeing players that maybe had not been in the right situation previously get a chance to perform in this kind of offense and they're doing excellent. Like Andrew Wiggins, is having by far his best year as a pro in an efficiency perspective. So basically, if you had bet on any of these teams so far, Cleveland, Golden State, Oklahoma City, Memphis, or Chicago, you would have made quite a bit of money on it. But there are some teams that it went kind of the other way for. And it's almost the reverse of what he said before, Rahul, in that you can make money early in the season, especially betting on teams the public does not expect to do well but you can lose money betting on teams the public does expect to do well. And there's four teams that come to mind here who have the lowest coverage percentage in the league. Portland covering an abysmal 36.1% of the time. 
and they're an average of 4.8 points per game worse than the spread it would estimate they would be. Atlanta covering just 38.9%. The Lakers, unsurprisingly, you know, a popular team that gets tons of bets, covering only 41% of the time. And, and maybe to me the most surprising one, because they still have a pretty good record, the Brooklyn Nets covering just 41.2% of the time, despite still being amongst the Eastern Conference contenders based on their play so far this season. So what, what is the common theme besides the fact that public perception was higher than their actual performance this year? It's defense. None of these teams are playing defense at the rate that they were playing previously. And I think that's a reason that they have slipped off in their performance. Atlanta last year, a five seed, wound up beating the Knicks and even beating the 76ers because they played elite defense. And then they had the ability to score at the end of the game. Same thing with the Lakers. Their title run was stalwarted by Anthony Davis and LeBron James playing excellent defense. Brooklyn... Also a very underrated defensive team with Kevin Durant, perhaps one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And then this year, you look and you see they're not playing the same level of defense. And part of that has to be because all of these teams have also had their fair share of injuries and missed games due to COVID protocols. Yeah, and I think with Brooklyn, we have to also mention the elephant in the room in that Kyrie Irving as of the, the time we are speaking today, has not yet played a game. Now, he's scheduled to play tonight on the road, so we'll see what he looks like. And the other thing is, James Harden, speaking of elephants, has come into this season completely out of shape. And, you know, he's starting to pick it up slowly, but it's really been a one-man show there. And, and guys like Blake Griffin, you know, who played a role last year, he's fallen off a cliff a little bit this year. You know, Joe Harris is shooting really well, but he's not doing much of anything else. And the team depth that we thought might be there hasn't been there. It's it's really been on Durant's shoulders. So, you know, that's why they're still winning because he's kind of bailing them out. But they're not winning by the margins that would help you win money by betting on them. Yeah. And, you know, one thing to point out with these poor ATS performers and even these teams in particular, even if you were able to break up their games into home games and road games, there's a pretty big discrepancy. So as a home favorite, um, some of the teams that we might think are the best teams in the league are doing the absolute worst against the spread. Now, I'm going to name three that are disproportionately bad, but Brooklyn leading the list is a paltry 3-14-1 and one against the spread as a home favorite. Jeez. Uh, followed by 76ers, who are 3-6 and six at home, smaller sample size. And then the teams that we mentioned, the Lakers, 7-13, and 13, and even the Bucks, who was having a great year as a home favorite, are only six and ten against the spread. I think the inflated lines at home, and I think public perception driving these lines higher, are a big reason that these against the spread performances are so poor. And I think it's an opportunity as a recreational better for an opportunity to gain an advantage against the rest of your peers. Yeah, and with Brooklyn, I think Rahul, we can expect maybe their home performance to lag behind their road performance in part because Kyrie Irving is not even eligible to play in home games the rest of this season. So, you know, there'll be one of those odd teams where you kind of fear them more if you're playing them in your home arena than if you're playing them in Brooklyn. For sure. I think, you know, that's something to keep in mind. And, And another thing to keep in mind with Brooklyn is, you know, Kyrie's unvaccinated. So the league's rules are going to make it more challenging for him to play with an exposure or if he tests positive moving forward. 
which will also affect their ATS numbers and their overall season totals, which will bring us to our next topic. Yeah, so nice lead in there, Rahul. So I wanted to talk you know, to you a little bit about just how the season win totals are going so far. So one of the most popular things to bet on at the start of the NBA season is the over-unders and how many games a team will win. And it was a bit odd last year with sort of the shortened season. Frankly, it's been odd for a few years, even if you factor in the shortened season as well. But this season, coming into an 82-game season, we had sort of definitive numbers and some expectation of how teams would do. And some teams seem to have exceeded that, and, and other teams are really falling short of that. So how's that going so far? So, you know, a lot of the teams that we had previously been discussing that are doing well against the spread have also outperformed their season win total projections. So, you know, just to name, the Warriors were at a 48.5 win total, and they're performing at a 57.5 now in-game, I mean, in-season. The Grizz are up to 48.5 from 41.5, and the Bulls are up to 51.5 from 42.5. Another team that's doing well in terms of their win totals is the Suns. They're at a pace for 57.5, whereas their, their preseason projection was 51. And I think this is one that we can talk about a little bit because a lot of times finals loser tends to have you know this kind of hangover the next year and you know the disappointment of not making it all the way through once making it to the finals sometimes can have a negative impact towards the next year. But these Suns really have kept their pedal on the metal and they're charging to make another deep run into the postseason. So if you had to pick one of those teams that were overperforming and and say, hey, I'm going to be a little glass half empty on this squad, which one would it be? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, I'm going to surprise you a little bit with my answer, but just because their season win total is now so high, and they have a major shakeup still on the way, I would say the Warriors are going to be a team that might have trouble reaching their 57.5 in-season win total. I'm um, so glad you said that, Rahul, because that's exactly the one that I was targeting. Because, like you said, a major shakeup's coming up here. We don't even know what Clay Thomas is going to look like. We don't know how that's going to disrupt the roster. And quietly, Steph's efficiency has gone down a little bit in the last month, although they're still winning. Now... What's cutting in their favor is that they have only the 21st hardest schedule left in the league. So basically the ninth easiest. So their remaining opponents won't be that difficult. But, you know, this is a team that's been relatively healthy given, of course, they don't have clay. And now they have to incorporate this new piece. If any of those factors change, if Steph misses sort of any amount of time at all, like the on-off numbers of Steph Curry are dramatic and uh, I, I think that they may struggle to win without him if you know even if he like tweaks an angle for a couple weeks yeah he's the engine that keeps the Warriors going and he's the reason their system works the spacing he provides all these role players is really why they're able to take a step up in the way they have been to kind of add into the the shakeup you know Jordan Poole has taken such a big role this year as another initiator and scorer you know he's the guy when you watch the game he definitely takes his heat checks he definitely gets to feeling himself halfway through a game and you know, he's provided a real spark for them. And it's going to be hard for him to get the same amount of touches and shots up when they're trying to integrate Clay back into the system. What about teams, Raul, whose uh, win totals have now gone down? Like if you're going to bet on them today, Vegas is putting up a number for them that's less than what it was at the beginning of the season. So there, there, there are multiple teams that kind of fit this category, but I've highlighted three of them that we can talk about a little bit. Uh, one being the Hawks who seemingly have 
done exactly what we discussed when we were talking about Phoenix, where they've actually had a little bit of a hangover after a surprisingly deep run last year. Their depth and their wings really kind of made me think preseason that this was a team that was going to win a lot more games in the regular season than they are right now. And I'm not sure if this is predominantly like COVID-related, injury-related, or if they just haven't found their groove, or if they're a trade away from making a big run. But I think that they're a team that previously, you know, earlier this year was projected to win 47 and a half games. And now their in-season win total is sitting at 41 and a half. And I wonder if now is a good time to buy some stock in an underperforming Hawks team. Yeah, I mean, early in the season, there was a lot of trepidation about Trey Young being unable to adapt to the rules. Well, that's now in the rear window because he has been absolutely dominant over the last couple of months. And the Hawks, all season long, have had an elite offense. I think you hit the the nail on the head earlier when you discussed sort of their issues defensively. That's kind of what's holding them back. And they are, you know, due for a few reinforcements. I mean, John Collins is coming back. I think he's due to play this week against the Lakers. Cam Reddish has really stepped up with all these COVID absences to the point now where I think he's a legitimate trade asset if they want to move off of him. And, you know, I think they might try to do something with someone like Gallinari. I don't think they really need him. He may be a bit redundant. So they are potential candidate to make a, an impact trade with some of the pieces they have or maybe get a couple of these pieces together to get a better player, package some guys together to get the one player they really need that can make a difference, specifically on the defensive end. They're, I mean, just, they're a great candidate for a four quarters for a dollar trade, for sure. They have, for sure like, they have redundancy and they have the contracts to really stack them up to acquire a max player. On top of all that, they have guys, like they have too many guys that need to be paid, right? So they're in a situation right now where they just can't possibly play all these guys. Like they just have too many guys in the roster who already have salaries or are going to be getting paid. And so there's actually a need from just a roster flexibility standpoint to consolidate some of those contracts and make a move. So I, I could totally see them making a jump here, especially if their offense persists as it is. It's hard for you to imagine that, that an offense that's as good as the Hawks are, are going to win only 41 and a half games, which is their current over under. Another team that has been vastly underperforming their previous expectations is the Lakers. And now this one's going to be tough to kind of navigate. You know, we're not sure exactly how long Anthony Davis will be out for. Um, We don't know exactly the fit of Russell Westbrook. But this is a team that was projected to win 52.5 games. And now their in-season win total is around 43.5. You look up and down the um, the Western Conference standings, I'm not seeing a lot of teams that I know for sure they're better than that are already taking up playoff spots. Yeah, and so the Lakers, you know, I'm looking at their in-season win total at 43.5 from a preseason total of 52.5. And while it seems tempting to buy low, I'm just not sure how they're going to manage to kind of make that total happen. There's a lot of teams that are ahead of them in the Western Conference standings. And I think most of those teams are actually better than the Lakers as currently constructed. Raul, I got a hot take for you. Aswe, cue the hot take alert, please. Hot take alert. So, I get it. The Lakers have had a pretty cake schedule. They've been thoroughly underwhelming. They're only 20 and 19, despite LeBron playing out of his mind. They have the third most difficult remaining strength of schedule in the NBA. And yet... I am optimistic that this team will 
I, I think relatively easily get to this win total. And my rationale for this, Rahul, is that number one, no team had more roster turnover coming into this season. Like they basically had their entire team change with the exception of LeBron, AD, and THT. And then, of course, they brought back, you know, Dwight Howard and eventually Avery Bradley as well. So they had some repeat guys as well. They brought back Rondo. He's already gone. They've had so much roster turnover, though. And then I'd argue that no team has been more affected by COVID and injuries than the Lakers. They've had the most amount of starting lineups in the NBA so far. So they haven't really had a chance to build cohesion. And so one of the just things have to go 24 and 19 the rest of the way to make that happen, just FYI. Absolutely. And I feel like that's very doable, right? Because one of the things that has been developing over the last month or so is the Lakers are slowly excising all the worst players out of their rotation completely. So, you know, earlier in the season, DeAndre Jordan, Rondo, Wade Ellington, these guys played a lot of minutes. Kent Bazemore, another guy who played a lot of minutes early on. And the coach, coaching staff basically realized that not only do these players probably watch, they don't fit ideally on a team that is already limited by Westbrook. So I think they're making the right adjustments now and taking those worst players out and they're replacing them with much better players. I also think that they may be able to add somebody through the buyout market or maybe even a trade. And finally, Anthony Davis is going to come back to this team. So it's it's hard for you to imagine that they can't, you know, as you said, just go 24 and 19 the rest of the way. Look, I'm not doubting the 24 and 19 the rest of the way, but I'm going to pause you on the replacing with much better players. Like, who is it, who in this list is a much better player? Taylor Horton Tucker is barely shooting 30% from three. He is someone that I'm not sure has any outstanding talents other than Listen. getting to the rim. Even <laughs> that, he doesn't finish at the rim. Then we I mean, got there's a, a reason... Collect- Sorry, There's a ahead. reason, Rahul, that they call Taylor Horton Tucker trade him tomorrow on, on Lakers forums because he's <laughs> terrible. But well, I actually you think got that Carmelo I, getting minutes. You got Avery Bradley. You know, you got all these players that maybe should not have major roles on a contributing championship caliber team getting major burn. And they're really relying on these guys. And that's scary to me. I couldn't agree more, but that's my point. It's like, that's the next step, right? So the first step was getting rid of the guys that were completely useless. And they're not even the rotation anymore. The second step is getting back someone like Hendrick Nunn or whoever they get a trade for, maybe trading away THT, getting back AD. They've already, you know, just the impact of having Austin Reeves back on that team. Getting back like Stanley Johnson has been a huge upgrade over the minutes that we're giving to some of these guys out there. They just had so many roster holes that even if you just give competent players more minutes and then... A guy like Mello, who had to play some nights 30-plus minutes, getting back to maybe like the 15-minute mark. Someone like THT, who, like you said, is a flawed player, either being traded or or sort of a, a fringe bench player kind of guy. When that starts happening, and also from what they discovered offensively with you know putting LeBron to the five more, and especially when he's not just the five throughout the game, but maybe in spot minutes, especially once AD is back, I think they've found some things here. I expect them to have a much better second half of this season. Yeah. I guess, you know, not very surprising to see a LeBron and spacing team win some games. I think that is their only real pathway to having success while they wait for AD to come back. So what about any other teams that stick out to you? So we talked about the Lakers kind of projecting ahead, and maybe we talked a little about the Warriors going maybe the other way. Are there any other teams that you look at at their win totals and you're like, ah, I could see this being you know a team that trends up or maybe a team that trends the other way? Yeah, you know, one team that in particular, I, I, I don't understand why we're still sleeping on the Bucks here. Guys, this team not only won the championship last year, but got better and deeper. 
and another year together. And I know that their preseason total versus where they're at now is pretty much the same or maybe even a little bit lower because they've had some issues with injuries and COVID precautions. But I think they're just gearing up for a big run and they might reel off like a 15-game winning streak any minute now. Well, they're currently in the midst of a winning streak. And in that winning streak, Giannis is playing out of his mind. Drew Holiday has been significantly better this last month than he was his first month from shooting perspective, from you know efficiency overall, just his defense. He's once again that lockdown guy we saw in the playoffs last year. So yeah, they're definitely rounding into form. And all their role guys are stepping up too, one by one, right? And and all their offseason additions from Grace and Allen being a lot better to guys like Pat Connington taking a huge step up this season. So I totally agree with you. To me, they are the overwhelming title favorites. And we'll we'll get to playoff odds you know later in this podcast but i think even from an over-under perspective the entire nba is sleeping on them yeah and then i have two teams here that i just can't make really any sense of and i'm not sure which way they're gonna go up or down um and i'm curious to hear your thoughts but what do you make of the the raptors and i guess the blazers as well i guess the blazers may be a little bit more of a easy answer given their injury situation and their lack of depth and defense but the raptors have quietly put together a nice little run here. So to me, Rahul, these are classic stay-away teams because I think they're just too much up in the air for both of them. I think if you were looking at the Blazers' performance so far and extrapolating that going forward, there's not much to expect in terms of them winning. I, I still wouldn't completely diminish the possibility of them hitting an over simply because you know, they're a team that is loudly said that they're looking for a trade right now. What that trade's going to be, it's unclear. But, you know, if there's a world in which, say, they get like a Ben Simmons, I know that's maybe unlikely. But something like that, that could maybe ignite their team on a little bit of a second half run. They have been a team that historically has played a lot better in the second half. You know, just last year, we saw the Blazers kind of charge into the playoffs. Even the year before that, you know, in the bubble, they won that eight seed. And and everyone said they were the team to, to fear in the West, even though the Lakers destroyed them. So they have been a second half team. As for the Raptors, I agree with you. They're they're playing better. Fred Vliet is having, frankly, an all-star caliber season. But again, that's a team that I'm not sure what they're going to do in the trade deadline. To me, it's in their incentive to actually get off of a guy like Pascal Siakam and try to really rebuild. But they might think of it the other way around. You know, Messiah Jury might say, hey, maybe we'll try to put Siakam with somebody else and get a better player. Uh, so there's just too much uncertainty with both of these teams. So I think they're stay-aways from, in the betting game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, honestly, with the... Raptors, even teams like the Celtics, and the whole cluster of the East from 7 to, to 11 to 12 even, is is something that is going to be difficult to make sense of. The Wizards, the Hornets, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Knicks, the Hawks, they're all kind of jockeying around, and they're all around this 500 mark. And it might be something that comes down until the end of the, the season to really figure out. So one of the most fun things to bet on in the NBA are the division championships because it's one of the best ways to bet on the regular season. Like, you know, there's plenty of odds out there for who's going to win the Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals, and the NBA Finals, but that's more of like a playoff analysis. When you talk about division championships, you're talking about a regular season, not really a championship, but, you know, from a money perspective, it can be something you can make money on, and you're only comparing with between five teams in each division. So I wanted to run through some of the odds and tell me what you think. So let's start with the Atlantic Division, our division. And spoiler alert, our New York Knicks are an abysmal plus 3,000. So they're not going to win any money for anybody anytime soon. 
But you know, just for those of you who might not know what these numbers mean, when you say plus 3,000, that means you're betting $100. And if you win, you would make $3,000. And when they say minus, so it's like the Brooklyn is minus 550, that means you have to bet $550 to make $100. So that's sort of the way to analyze it. So in the Atlantic Division, Brooklyn, as I mentioned, is minus 550. Philly is plus 500. And nobody else is really relevant here. So what do you think? Brooklyn or Philly for this award? You know, it's really tempting to grab like the Sixers with the odds at 5-1 to one, pretty much. Only four games back in the loss column. But the absence of Ben Simmons and overall not knowing what the roster turnover will be at the deadline makes me think that this is a stay away. And I think that all things being equal, the Nets are probably going to run away with this thing. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think the Nets already having this lead and now getting all their guys back and getting Kyrie, even just for half a season, they're going to pile on wins. And even if Philly gets some sort of miraculous trade for Simmons that's beneficial to them, there's going to be that feeling out period, figuring out you know the system and everything like that, figuring out how to play with Joel Embiid. So I, I agree with you. To me, there's a no-brainer. If, you, if you're going to bet on the Atlantic Division, bet on Brooklyn at minus 550. What about the Central Division? So we got a, a couple of candidates here. We have Milwaukee, which in, you know in some sports books is minus two twenty-five, in some it's minus one sixty-five. Chicago usually about around plus two hundred. You can find them, and Cleveland, which you know you can't really sleep on them because they they have, as we talked earlier, been a really good regular season team so far. They're at plus eleven hundred. So if you bet, you know one hundred dollars and you win, you can get eleven hundred dollars from that bet. Who would you pick out of these three teams? So just a quick little diversion before I give you my pick. What you just said is absolutely imperative for any recreational better. I mean, it's very tempting to have your one sports book or your one guy that you know or your one app that you use, but you're much better off having multiple apps and multiple outs to kind of do line shopping, we call it. So, you know, as opposed to using a line that says Milwaukee minus 225, which means, again, $225 to win 100. If you can find somewhere where you can bet 165 to win 100, that is absolutely a huge advantage, especially when you're talking about doing something like this over a long period of time. Now, getting back to the question at hand, I think this is an incredible time to jump on a Milwaukee Bucks future. Now, with the odds being the way they are, and projecting this out over the year, you have to think that the Chicago Bulls, who are on an eight-game winning streak, will eventually take a small step back. And kind of looking into certain extra parameters like win-loss differential and overall just kind of contexting what the Bucks have gone through this year versus what the Bulls have thus far gone through, you got to think that they are going to have some degree of a COVID restriction coming on at some point. You have to think that you know, they might not be as hot as they are right now. And we had just talked about Milwaukee. We think that they're, they have a run in them. And, and I think it's worthwhile at this point with the odds the way they are. Yeah, to me, Milwaukee is going to run away with this. Chicago currently sits, you know, above them in the standings. So I, I guess if you wanted to make sort of a value play, Chicago at plus 200, given that they already have the current lead, isn't the worst idea. But you got to figure that Milwaukee has the best player out of, you know, both rosters. And I don't know how long DeMar DeRozan can continue just making every single jump shot that he takes. 
So if I had to make a bet here, I would I would bet on Milwaukee as well, even if it's you know you're gonna have to spend more money to make some money, but it's worth it. What about the Southeast? To me, this is a, one of the most interesting ones. So we have Miami at minus three fifty, Atlanta at plus four hundred, and maybe I'll even throw in the outside bet of Charlotte at plus nine hundred. Who do you like there out of those three teams? This is so tough. I mean, the the odds almost make you want to play someone other than Miami, but I just don't think you can. I think they just have clearly the best talent out of anyone in the division, and they also have been, you know, going through unfortunate circumstances through the course of the year with Bam being out and, you know, different uh, Jimmy Butler injuries, and despite that, they have, you know, over what I think is the next best team, the Hawks. They have a five-game lead on the loss column. I don't really see any other teams catching them, and I think the Hawks are already too far behind. Yeah, I think the play for Atlanta is if you just think, you know, they've had a really underwhelming first half of the season, and you believe in their offense, you believe in their depth, you believe in the fact that they're going to make a move, you believe in their youth, so, you know, they're going to go hard in the regular season, and you think, you know, on the other hand, Miami, once again, Jimmy Butler is injured, as you mentioned, Bam has basically been out for majority of the season. So when is Miami's sort of bottom going to fall on from under them? But that five-game lead is nothing to scoff at. And I think that ultimately the fact that Miami's defense will still carry the day, it's just more consistent. It's more reliable. I trust in Eric Spolstra. I, I just would be surprised to see them lose that lead to a team like Atlanta, which is so inconsistent on the defensive end. So, so far, we've, we've done the lame thing. We've picked all the favorites. And I, I have a feeling that it's not going to change with the next division, which is the Northwest, where Utah is a ridiculous minus 5,000 favorite. So you have to bet 5,000 to win $100, while Denver is plus 1,800. So if you bet $100 on Denver, you're getting $1,800 back. Is that enough of a reason for you to maybe go for Denver here, Rahul? All right, this is the moment I was waiting for. No, I'm just kidding. There's absolutely no way. Skip this. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the play for Denver is, you know, Jamal Murray should be coming back soon. And Denver, even this last year, was a second-half team that played a lot better. And Jokic took his game to even another level and ended up winning an MVP last season. He's been even better this year. So I, I see the argument, but granted, on the other hand, Michael Porter Jr. is completely out this season. And Utah is just the perfect regular season team. Barring a major injury to someone like, say, Gobert or Mitchell, I just don't see them falling. They have too big of a lead on Denver right now. There's a reason they're minus 5,000. This would be a foolish bet that you're just making on Denver just to, you know, in the hopes of winning money. But there's no real logic behind doing anything besides betting on Utah. Though I don't recommend actually betting on Utah either because spending $5,000 to make $100 is just... Don't do it. Yeah, just a bad use of your money. So so don't bet on that. So that brings us to Pacific, which is one of the most interesting races because it's between ultimately the two best teams record-wise in the Western Conference. And you may argue maybe the two best teams in the NBA, period. And that's Golden State at minus 125 and Phoenix at minus 105. So it's, it's pretty close odds. Who you got here, Rahul? So this one is actually the one we should spend the most time on. This is a ridiculous matchup. It's by far the most uh, interesting matchup. And and I think they're the two best teams, like you already mentioned. So, you know, you can talk yourself into a million different angles. The Suns had a long 
postseason run last year. Chris Paul, you know, not the most spry uh, young man as he used to be. And then on the other hand, the Warriors having Clay coming back, having to integrate him. How is that going to play out? But I think if you if you just look at like the depth, I think you have to make an argument that the Suns might wind up with the better record over the course of the regular season. What do you think? I also like Phoenix. I I feel like Golden State here is going to come into some sort of period of adjustment, reincorporating Klay Thompson. I, I like Golden State a little bit more as a playoff team because I, I just think Steph Curry is maybe several levels above anyone on Phoenix. And, you know, I, I like that trio of, of their big three surrounded by the, the roster they have around them. But for the regular season... One of the things that us, we, you know, one of our co-hosts likes to say all the time is that Phoenix plays regular season basketball as if it's playoff basketball. Like they play at this ridiculously low pace and they're running great sets with high effort all the time. And they're just going to pile up wins just by doing that. And and they're also outside of Chris Paul, a pretty young roster as well with lots of wing depth. You know, Aiden's been fantastic. Booker's been fantastic. So I, I agree. I think they're a good team to bet on, not just for you know, winning the Pacific Division title, but also for maybe having the best record in the NBA by the end of the season. I completely agree. I think their wing depth is going to be key to this uh, stretch, especially when we come towards the end of the, the season. Plus, they're overall you know, a younger team outside of Chris Paul, so that, that will definitely help as well. So that brings us to the end to the last division, and that division is the Southwest Division, which... Maybe someone would be surprised to see that it's Memphis who's clearly ahead here right now, and they're minus 200 favorites. And the only other team that's kind of close is Dallas at plus 155. So if you're making a play on Dallas, you're placing that bet on Luka Doncic, who's kind of been in and out of the lineup, you know, and to a lesser degree, maybe on Christoph Porzingis, who has actually played pretty well this season. But I don't know. I like Memphis a lot. I, I think John Morant. He's a stealth MVP candidate. I think he's a stealth All-NBA first-team candidate, if not for the play of of both Steph Curry and maybe Donovan Mitchell. He would be a no-brainer. There's so many good guards out there, but he is literally carrying this team. And even in his absence, they were playing really well. They're a team that, you know, they really benefit from having all these guys who are kind of outperforming their contracts, right? They're not a team that has sort of three big stars and a bunch of minimum players in sort of the mold of, Brooklyn or Lakers they're a team that has a lot of legitimate depth around a guy in John Morant who is ascending into maybe playing in you know another level altogether it reminds me almost of someone like Derek Rose in his MVP season that's the kind of dominance from an athletic perspective from a leadership perspective that I'm seeing from him night in and night out their roster construction in terms of how much overall talent they have from 1 to 15 is made for the regular season it's made for a COVID season. They are able to absorb people missing games. John missed games. They didn't skip a beat. They're able to kind of bring the next man up and keep the thing moving forward. So I don't think that regular season-wise, I, I see any chance for Dallas to really come and catch them. Another thing I'd be concerned about moving forward with Dallas is obviously you know, they're kind of the opposite as the Grizzlies. They have a big star and some role players around him. And you can argue Chris Saps is a second star. I don't personally agree with that. But I think they're too dependent on one player. And if any of these guys miss time from injury, and we all know how frail Chris Saps is, um, I think that ultimately 
you can see a, a real slip in their performance getting into the playoffs. So we talked then about ultimately the regular season, how it's going to play out in a lot of different ways in terms of over-unders, in terms of the spread, in terms of division championship odds. You know, I think the most common bet that people will make on the NBA is who's going to you know win each conference in the playoffs and ultimately the finals. Let's skip the finals for today's pod. I think it's just almost so far removed that it's almost pointless thinking about it. But I would like to discuss today, though, how to bet on maybe the conference championship odds. Like, who will win the East? Who will win the West? So I'm going to read some odds out to you, and you tell me out of the numbers I give you, from a betting perspective, which one sounds the most appealing. So we got on the Easter Conference, let's do that first, Brooklyn at plus 115, Milwaukee at plus 300, Miami at plus 550, Philly at plus 1200, Chicago at plus 1400, Atlanta at plus 2000, and Boston at plus 3500. What do you like there, Raul? I think the East is going to come down to one of the two at the top, but as a bet, I would love to give out something with a little bit more tantalizing odds. So I'm going to go with Chicago as my dark horse candidate. Um, at plus 1400, do I think they can win two rounds, get to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe face off against either Brooklyn or Milwaukee, and then kind of have to see if you want to hedge there? I think that's a completely reasonable course that the season could take. So if gun to my head, I would probably go Milwaukee plus 300. And then as a dark horse, I'll take Chicago plus 1400. So the reason I like the Chicago bet, Rahul, is you know if they stay in the number one seed, there's a world in which Brooklyn and Milwaukee knock each other out, you know, in the playoffs, and they can avoid facing both of them, and they just have to beat one of them that'll maybe be tired after a series. And they're a team that, across the measurables, their numbers hold up. They may not seem like a team laden with superstars, but they have three incredible offensive generators in Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, who's having you know his own MVP caliber season, and Nick Vucevic. And then they have these guards who are just incredible defenders in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. And I also think Chicago is a team that is a candidate to make a trade, maybe to become just a little bit better for the playoffs. If they could get someone to guard those big wings, I, I do think they miss Patrick Williams right now, and they need someone like that to guard a Kevin Durant in the playoffs or guard a Chris Middleton in the playoffs. So if they can do that, it's a, it's a reasonable bet. And you're getting a lot of value here for $100 to get $1,400 out of it. You know, for a scenario that I don't think is completely inconceivable, I, I agree with you that Milwaukee would be my pick to actually win the East. But you know, plus three hundred odds isn't as fun as plus fourteen hundred for a team that would be an amazing story. Yeah, I think Chicago definitely needs to beef up. Uh, but things that do favor them is you know the playoffs things tighten up, right? Rotations tighten up. One weakness that the Bulls have is they don't have a lot of depth. You know what? Depth in the playoffs maybe not as big of a key is because you're going to rely on your best players. Secondly, they have shot creators. They have three guys that can get you a bucket and two of them being from the guard position, which is who's going to be holding the ball the majority of the time. The only caveat is, like you mentioned, they do need to beef up a little bit. So both in the wing defense and in the middle. Vucevic is not exactly a rim protector. It's working right now, but you do have to face Joel Embiid at some point in the Eastern Conference playoffs potentially, and that would be a concern I would have. 
The other team that I want to mention as a bit of a dark horse, I don't know if they'd even be considered a dark horse, though, is Miami at plus 550. There's certainly buzz about them coming into the season. I feel like they've kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but you know, in a playoff series, they're rolling out three all-star caliber players in Jimmy, Bam, and Kyle Lowry with an excellent supporting cast around them of defenders, of shooters. They're a team that's going to be really hard to score on in a playoff series. And they're a team that, you know, Jimmy Butler has proven that he can win playoff series with his own play, right? He can take a team to the NBA Finals, even if in a weird, you know, COVID season where they played in the bubble and everything. But still, he did it. And the other thing that they have going for them is, in my opinion, they have the best coach in the world right now. I mean, maybe outside of Nick Nurse, but whether Spolcher Nurse, the, the two best guys, I think he'll be a huge plus against any playoff opponent that they run into. So, you know, Miami at plus 550 looks appealing to me as well. I think Atlanta would beat Miami. I think Chicago would be Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, maybe Philly if they could trade Ben Simmons. So I'm actually lower on Miami than you so are. So you're lower on Miami. You don't believe in What is it? Is call a lack lightning of spacing? in a bottle in the lockout season, in the bubble season. I think they're, they're a very tight group of guys, and they had a lot of focus, and they have a lot of passion. And Jimmy Butler definitely kind of drove them into overperformance that year. I think, you know, if they are to meet any of the upper echelon East teams, maybe it's disrespectful not to call them upper echelon East teams. I think they would be beaten by at least five of these teams. Well, let me give you the pathway where I think it could happen, right? Let's say Miami ends up in something like the four or five, right? They win against a team that's maybe inexperienced in that first round, whatever that team is. Then they face a Chicago team that, again, is extremely inexperienced when it comes to playoff basketball. Miami's littered with playoff veterans. And now again, it comes to like, like you, you can avoid the facing going through both the gauntlet of Brooklyn and Milwaukee. And now you just face one of those teams when they're tired. You know, injury luck goes their way. I, I could see it happening. I, I hear you in that they have some flaws. I'm not entirely sure I, I, I trust them from a perimeter shooting perspective. I know they have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, but then you know, their best lines of defensive players struggle offensively. So. They do have questions to answer, but I, I trust their coaching staff. And I, I do think they have a deep and versatile roster with proven playoff performance. I think from that Play, perspective... Playoff performers, and that means something. Yeah, I think that from that perspective, though, I would I would 100% rather take the 1,400 with, with Chicago than the 550 with Miami. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. That's That would be my bet as well. So let's go to the Western Conference then. We got Golden State at plus 180 to win the West. Phoenix at plus 350, Utah at plus 550, the Lakers at plus 550, the Clippers at plus 1200, the Nuggets at plus 1200, Dallas at plus 1800, and Memphis at plus 3500. Who do you like there, Rahul? These odds are really trying to trying to factor in this Jamal Murray uh, return, aren't they? 1200 for the Clippers seems a little, I mean, not for the Clippers, for the Nuggets seems a little bit on the low side. I'm a little bit surprised at that. That being said, I think, you know, from from the odds and not to be boring, I think I think Utah is, again is is another good value. Can I see a scenario where they're where they're in the conference finals playing either Golden State or Phoenix? I think that that is a likely scenario and I think it's worthwhile at five to one. What do you think? Yeah, Utah to me is the obvious value bet here. Listen, I get it. Utah has had playoff flame out after playoff flame out. And so I, I think the betting public may be a little bit wary of them. But I think there's some very 
serious improvements that have been made to this team. You know, we covered that in our Utah Jazz podcast we listened to last week. And part of that, Rahul, is that Donovan Mitchell has taken a leap as a superstar. He's far better than he ever was in terms of both creating offense at the perimeter and also getting to the rim and finishing from floater range and also in the mid-range as well. So he's become a true three-level scorer. Their offense is as good as it's ever been. In fact, they are the best offense in the NBA by a mile. And so as long as they can be decent enough defensively to where you know they don't get killed like they did in the small ball series against the Clippers last year, if they can be solid enough defensively, they're going to outscore just about anyone they face assuming that that offense efficiency you know, goes forward in the playoffs, which it hasn't done in the past, but there's a world in which you could believe that they could. They also have the advantage of chemistry, and I, I think they're a very well-coached team as well. So all those things coming together makes me think that Utah at plus 550 is a great bet. Raul, what do you think about the Clippers at plus 1,200 in a world in which Kawhi and Paul George are you know, both back and healthy and playing for the Clippers? Man, you know, 1,200 is... The, the odds are pretty good for a Kawhi-led team in the playoffs just having to win a couple of rounds, especially with what they showed last year with Reggie Jackson and Paul George kind of in there. But I think they're going to be so behind the eight ball. I, th- I don't think they're going to wind up with even a middle seed. And so that means that they're going to have to win three series against you know some vastly superior competition. I personally and don't like And maybe a play-in it. game too, Raul, because as the Carly stands... They're sort of in this morass of teams that are tied between yeah, exactly. five and, and and seven, but you know they could easily fall given that Paul George is out for the foreseeable future and Kawhi. We don't even know when he's coming back. Yeah, I think that one would be a tougher sell for me than even Denver would. You know, I just I do want to say one thing. I, I know this is kind of fun, and we're kind of trying to pick someone with better odds to to make a little bit of a dark horse run, but ultimately. You know, do I think Utah can win the finals or win a series against Golden State or Phoenix? Probably not. Um, so ultimately, like, if we're doing the the same, the equivalence of Brooklyn-Milwaukee on this side, it's Golden State and Phoenix. And again, I think I would lean towards the higher odds and go Phoenix over Golden State, even with the knowledge that Clay's coming back. See, it's interesting you say that because... While I acknowledge that Golden State and Phoenix are probably the two best teams, I still don't find them to be some sort of overwhelming juggernauts where like the gap between the two of them and Utah or or maybe even some of these other teams, if if things go right, is so much that it can't be undone, you know, in a given series or with with the key injury here or there. Whereas like in the East, I I really do feel like Brooklyn or Milwaukee is going to win the thing. And it's, it's almost impossible for me to imagine anybody else actually winning it just because they have all the best superstars playing for those two squads. Whereas, you know, these guys, they're, they're well-built, don't get me wrong, both Golden State and Phoenix, but there are a lot of star players on some of these other teams that are not Golden State or Phoenix that in a given series, often it does come down to who has the best player. And it's not inconceivable to me that someone like a Kawhi or a LeBron or a even someone like Mitchell or, or a Jokic could just get red hot and knock a team like that out. So... I don't feel all that confident in betting on any of these teams in the West, which is why I think I would stay away. But if I had to bet, I'd at least have a little fun with it and say, hey, try to make some serious earnings if you're going to bet on them. Yeah. Are we are we putting the nail in the Lakers coffin? Because plus 550 for LeBron and AD healthy in the playoffs with potential some roster changes, 
I don't know. I mean, uh, you you could talk me into that one as well. You know, I'm actually higher on the Lakers than just about anybody right now, which is funny because I was lower on the Lakers than anybody coming into the season. And they've had a horrible season, as we've already discussed. But I I think that, listen, the, the evidence shows that when LeBron and AD are healthy, they're practically unbeatable in a playoff series. I just feel like the odds for the Lakers should be a little bit worse than they are right now. And I think with the Lakers, you always have a lot of public money on them for a couple reasons. They're the most popular team in the NBA. They are located very close to Las Vegas. So Lakers fans tend to flood that area with Lakers bets. I mean, Vegas itself is basically a Lakers extended town. And then they have LeBron James, one of the most popular players in the NBA. So a lot of public money will go on them. But I I don't disagree with you. Like, it's not crazy thing that the Lakers have two of the elite players in the NBA. LeBron does not look washed at all. AD is Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? Like he was a top five player in the playoffs when he last was there. So it's not crazy to think he could do it again. So I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the Lakers at plus 550, it's not a bad bet. Gun to my head, I'm going Milwaukee, Golden State. Boo, <laughs> I feel like I've said like five different teams now for the West. <laughs> Dude, and I think the... that should be enough of a, a clue in <laughs> as to this field is wide, wide open. And that's the thing. That's why, again, a team like the Lakers or the Clippers that just has star power, like like if things go right and a lot of things have to go right, there's no dominant team right now where you're like, wow, that team's unbeatable. So I think any team could make a run here if they get healthy, which then brings us to the last topic. If we're talking about star power, which is the MVP odds. Now, The MVP odds vary so dramatically from site to site that I decided, hey, I'm just going to pick one. So I'm going with the FanDuel odds here. Literally, these odds are all over the place. And they seem to vary widely from week to week. So as Raul suggested before, if you're making this bet, make sure you shop around. If if you like a certain guy to find where you have the best odds for your bet so you can can go the furthest. So let's using FanDuel as an example. Right now, Steph is plus 125. Duran is plus 240. Giannis is plus 900, Jokic is plus 1300, LeBron is plus 3600, Embiid is plus 3600, DeRozan is plus 3600, Morant is plus 5500, and Donovan Mitchell is plus 7000. So who do you like out of those players, Rahul, to win the MVP? Are we just going to say Giannis is not going to get another MVP? Like, I don't understand these odds. How is he plus 900? They're going to eventually finish with the first record in the East. And he's putting up ridiculous stats year in and year out. I think this Giannis fatigue thing is is a little bit lazy, in my opinion. Plus I 900. I could not agree Giannis more, Rahul. Antetokounmpo. Give me that all day. I, I could not agree more, Rahul. It, it's insane to me that the Milwaukee Bucks, you suggested, Rahul, that they had to finish first. I think they could finish second and he'll still probably be one of the MVP favorites because if you think about it, let's say the let's say Brooklyn winds up with the first seed, right? Giannis's stats are comparable. In some ways, you could argue they're even better than Durant's if, if you factor in rebounding and his defensive metrics, etc. But you know, he's not sharing the court with someone that's perceived to be a star like James Harden or or someone like even like Kyrie Irving, you know. So he's going to get the lion's share of the credit for whatever they do accomplish. And this idea of voter fatigue doesn't even make sense to me because it's not like he even won the MVP just last season. If anything, he validated his place amongst 
the NBA greats by winning the championship last year and, and dominating along the way. So if it's close and neck and neck, I, you know, I, I would take him over any of these guys. Cause like, you know, Steph has quietly been a bit cold over the last, you know, month or so. His true shooting percentage has kind of gone down the tank. He's not actually shooting all that well. And by the way, he's actually posted eight games this season with a negative box plus minus, which is more than Giannis, Jokic, and KD combined. But the difference is his team happens to be six and two in those games, while those guys are zero and five in those games. So those guys are on teams that depend on them to be great far more than Steph is on his. So I get that Steph has a narrative right now, but I don't I don't know. Maybe and maybe he will. You know, he's, historically he always recovers whatever slump he's in and ends up ridiculously efficient on the season. So, you know, betting on Steph still makes sense, but I, I feel like if all else is even, Giannis is going to have a statistical case. He's going to have the wins. So what am I missing here? Yeah, I, I don't I don't really understand it. I mean, I got it the years prior to this, you know, when he's coming off the, the MVPs and they couldn't get out of the first round or second round of the playoffs and people were kind of laughing at this stuff. You can't do that anymore. He's a world champion. And he not only won the championship last year, but he won the championships last year. You know what I mean? Like, he grabbed it by the balls and took it for himself. So I don't understand why or how I can get Giannis at plus 900, but it seems like something worth throwing some money at. Um, one thing I'll say, and, you know, since you covered the Steph angle with Durant, you know, he's coming off an Achilles injury. Right now they're relying on him a ton. He's playing 40-plus minutes a game a lot of times. This is not a sustainable thing, and Steve Nash has said it himself. KD has said it himself. At some point when Kyrie comes back and maybe Harden's in a little better shape and they're doing a little bit better from an injury perspective, they're going to have to give Durant some days off or they're going to have to cut his minutes at some point. So I think this is a, I think this is a, a great opportunity to buy in at Giannis before Milwaukee kind of makes their move upwards. I would argue, Rahul, that it's exactly the reason why Kyrie is now part of the team again, because they realize that the burden on Durant is just far too much, and Harden has not been there consistently throughout this season. He came out of the season out of shape. He still looks about 20 pounds too heavy to me, maybe more. So the burden on Durant is going to have to decrease if they want to make a playoff push this year. So that means that his number is going to go down. Maybe their win total will drop a little bit. So I, I totally agree with you on, on the Durant angle. I do have one last question for you, Rahul, before we wrap up today. So I, I think there are these two players who are sort of in the same category of having absurd seasons. To me, Jokic is having the most unbelievable statistical season that I've seen, I don't even know since when, right? And he's at plus 1,300. And then you have LeBron at plus 3,600, who is just playing at some ridiculous level and now has moved to center and has become some kind of small ball center, which we've never really quite seen before from him on a consistent basis. My question to you, Raul, is let's say things go really well for both these teams. They get their injured players back. Say Murray and Davis come back healthy and ready to go and they kick ass. How far do the Nuggets or the Lakers have to climb before these guys actually have a shot to win an MVP award. They have to win 50 games. It's like so it's not about seeding to you. It's about it, win total. It's an unwritten rule in the NBA that if you're an MVP, your team has have to have 50 wins. Someone wrote it somewhere. I don't have the exact facts of where it is, but it's there. Someone wrote it down somewhere. 
I mean, but then then we have years where Russell Westbrook wins an MVP, right? So it's not that written in that, stone. I mean, that's true. But you're right. That's true. He did do some historic stuff though with averaging a triple double. You know, I think in a in a class like this where there's so many good candidates, you really can't afford to have a mediocre record. And I think that's ultimately what's going to harm both Jokic and LeBron. I think, you know, if you're looking for a long odds flyer, I think it might be worthwhile to sprinkle a little cash on Embiid and maybe even Mitchell. So Embiid, I'll make the case. He was actually the MVP favorite last year before getting hurt and Jokic eventually taking it the last couple weeks of the year. The Sixers have the pieces there. They don't have Ben Simmons. If they kind of make a run upwards, if they kind of get a top three seed, approach 50 wins, I can see an argument where a guy that's a defensive anchor and the focal point of their offense as a dominant big and an unquestioned top five player at his best, I can see where 36 to 1 odds is appealing for that. I mean, no question he'll put the numbers up. For, with Embiid, I just don't see this Sixers squad getting to that kind of win total where it'd be even remotely realistic that Embiid will become an MVP. But sure, if they do, then of course. I mean, he's just, you know, he had a triple double last night. He was just absolutely dominant. So, Embiid is certainly playing at an MVP caliber level, but much like LeBron and Jokic, I just don't know if his team is good enough to get the kind of win totals he'd need. As for Mitchell, he's putting up absurd numbers and his team is winning, but I don't, would not put any money on Mitchell because to me, whenever I watch the Jazz and whenever you hear people talk about the Jazz, there's always this debate about who's actually doing more for them to win, Mitchell or Gobert. And you can make a legitimate case that both of them deserve to be on all NBA first team this year. I mean, that's the level they're playing at, right? So the question comes down to, you know, if they're both playing really well, who gets the credit? There could be some vote splitting between them. So even if they end up with the number one seed, I'm not sure that Mitchell is going to jump over some of the other guys on this list because of the Gobert factor, but also because, let's be honest, from a raw numbers perspective, and also just from his reputation around the NBA, nobody thinks of Jonathan Mitchell fairly or unfairly as like an elite or like the top of the top of cream of the crop of, of the NBA. So I, I don't I don't buy the Mitchell thing, even though at plus seven thousand it may seem appealing. Yeah, it's just for fun. Hundred bucks to win seven thousand. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's not. That's, we put it that way, right? I yeah. mean, one hundred bucks. And you make 70 times that amount. So, no, I mean, but it's not I, I, do think, I do think, long story short, that there is maybe some value here. And I think what, what we've talked about and how we're feeling, that I think Giannis at a 9-1 to one, uh, long shot is something that might be worthwhile to look into. No question. So, Rahul, thank you so much for joining us and, and sort of breaking down all the odds and all these categories for our listeners. I mean, it's been awesome to have you again. One of these days, we got to do a Knicks pod. I mean, hopefully things will be looking up a little bit. I know we had a nice win yesterday night. So hopefully these wins start stacking up and we can actually talk some Knicks without me being depressed about it soon. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm never depressed about the Knicks because I I find a way to bet against them. So that's tip number one. (laughs) And tip number two, again, remember, guys, home faves, big lines, go opposite. I think that's going to be another profitable strategy moving forward. But anyways, it was a lot of fun doing this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope this was a little bit helpful. It was definitely fun to talk about. And, you know, go Knicks. Let's go. You heard it there. Let's go Knicks. Guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to. 
And hey, if you guys have any thoughts about any of our picks, any of our odds, our decisions here on, on this betting pod, please don't hesitate to write to us at brownmanwontjump at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you guys soon. Good luck in the casinos placing those bets. Peace, guys.